Tchaikovsky to make it three! Scintillating football by the Chicago Fire! Finding Herbers, Fabian Herbers is in again, and Fabian Herbers has scored again! A man on fire! Oh, it's another episode of the Intercontinental Football Show. Arlo is back in England. I am broadcasting from a closet. It is episode number five, Mambo number five. And we got a boatload to talk about from the Chicago Fire's big win over Red Bull over the weekend. A new signing for the Chicago Fire. The selling of Shemeswav Frankowski to RC Lanz is officially official. And we have all sorts of Premier League preview to attend to mr arlo white you are finally back in england you finally were able to walk through the doors of your own home my question is how are you how does it feel to be back in your home of england i've never been happier tyler to be at home honestly (laughs) i love tokyo the the city is incredible it was an unforgettable experience but it it also had real challenges uh to to get through with things like soft lockdowns and that sort of thing um and the u.s women not winning the gold medal uh, unfortunately but but so coming home landing in 52 degree swirling chilly winter-like winds at heathrow airport and then sunday night having my first pint of, of english beer uh, in two months was was absolutely magnificent you know the end and we spoke didn't we from the game uh, last week in Kashima, uh, yep. which the US won by four goals to three. Absolutely fantastic game against Australia. So they got themselves on the podium, which was great. Um, but the last three days were insane. So it was the bronze medal match. And then the next night was Yokohama for the for the women's final, which was won on penalties by Canada. Uh, extraordinary, really, given the, the lack of goals that they scored in that tournament. But uh, hey, they, they found a way to win and they thoroughly deserved it. And then it was the men's final, which I called off tube at the IBC with Robbie Musto in Stamford, Connecticut. So that was a a win for Brazil against Spain, which was quite a good game. But I hadn't seen a single kick of the men's tournament until watching a little bit of game tape that morning. So it was all kind of fraught at the end. And by the time I got back, midnight by the way I did a quick uh, stop by the studio and saw Rebecca Lowe for the first time in absolutely saw ages that. and we did five minutes on mm. the start of the new Premier League season which was awesome that went out I think live um, and I got back to the hotel I hadn't packed so by the time I packed it was 3 a.m and I was getting picked up at 7.50 now anyone that knows me knows that once I go to sleep that is it that is all <laughs> she wrote person so I, I pulled an all-nighter Tyler and I, I slept for about I think it was a 13-hour flight back and I probably slept for about nine of them um, so then got into the car, came up uh, to the East Midlands, walked through the front door, flopped on the sofa, and all is right with the world. And here you are, you know, just full of life, full of energy, doing the pod and doing the damn thing. And we could not be more excited to have you back in in a time zone that's slightly more in our favor. I'm not going to say it makes <laughs> it a ton easier, but it certainly is slightly more in our favor. Well, Me, it's on the, the same other day hand, for both of us. Yes, it's, it's the, the same, same day, day that, where you are. That is the big, yeah. That's the big kicker. That's the big kicker right now. Yeah. And and for those who are wondering why I'm broadcasting in a closet, I just moved into, into a new apartment with my girlfriend and we had an issue with the desk. It didn't fit through the door. The acoustics are all off and you know i just needed to find somewhere where the where the sound wouldn't just bounce right back at me and of course the only place to do that is where there's there's objects and clothings and stuff like that so i'm i'm in our closet right now um but you know it's any anything for the pot at this point and and i'm very excited to be to be talking chicago fire and to be talking premier league and and all the sort (laughs) 
jam-packed week as far as headlines are concerned for the fire because you start with the selling of Shomasov Frankovsky. That was, you know, somewhat towards the end of the transfer window, and it obviously didn't matter for the fire because they were exporting. So they actually had until August 31st at the end of the European transfer window to do any dealings that they wanted to do in terms of selling players out. But the MLS transfer window, if you were going to import any players, closed uh, about Thursday. And basically at the 12th hour, the Fire finally get their man in Federico Navarro, a player that they've been watching for, for over a year, Arlo. And he fits the profile of probably the number one need that you and I have talked about, that even Rafael Wicke has talked about um, in a number mm. of conversations that I've had with him. And that is a deep-lying, ball-winning, ground-covering, you-know-whatter in the middle of the field, number six, Federico Navarro, 21 years of age, coming over from Tayeris. Um, you know, he's described by Argentine media as having a third lung. He's that kind of guy that can just <laughs> go on forever. Um, when we're going to see him, we're not exactly sure, but this is the type of signing that the fire needed. A number six was always at the top of the list, and that's not to say anything about Madron and Jimenez, other than the fact that they're not number sixes. And being able to push them further up the field and allowing them to maximize their ability on the attacking side of the ball is only going to benefit everybody else on the field. You know, I think of it, again, as sort of like Fabinho with Liverpool. When he was playing center back with all those see that Liverpool were just off. But once a couple of guys got healthy and you pushed him back into that number six role, then it allowed everybody else to push further up the field. So that's sort of how I like in this situation. But a very exciting time for the fire and the fact that they got three points over the weekend against Red Bulls. We'll get to that in just a minute. But, um, you know, a big signing in Federico Navarro. You sell Shomasov Frankowski. You say goodbye after about two and a half years. Um, and, and a good bit of business for the fire in a window that they certainly needed to do so. And they are not out of the playoff picture just yet, Arlo. Yeah, I, lo I love this signing, the idea that he's got a third lung. It reminds me of a description once made of N'Golo Kante uh, mm. during Leicester City's amazing run to the title, which was they play three in midfield. Um, and it sounds like this this guy is it, Federico Navarro. So, you know, he's going to have a high football IQ. He's going to be technically very good, but also he's going to get about the park and just enable the fire to get up the field with the knowledge that behind them is a player that's going to that's going to cover the ground for them. So terrific signing, and and one that uh, as well will increase in value because he's at a, a fantastic age. Yeah, and, and like we said, we're not entirely sure when we're going to see him. Fire fans, you know, getting a visa right now is difficult. And you, there was actually a player from NYCFC, Thiago Andrade, who who we got to see last week on Wednesday in that nil-nil draw. He had a lot of trouble getting his visa when he was brought over from Brazil. So we're guessing that it might be anywhere from two to four weeks. It could be earlier than that. It could be later than that. We simply just don't know. But obviously, the Fire would like to have him sooner rather than later because they very much are in the middle of a playoff push. It was a nil-nil draw against NYCFC, a game in which after... Keaton Parks got sent off. You felt like the fire might be able to go win it, but it was just one of those games where neither team really seemed like they were going to score. It was the perfect game for Gaga Slonina, the 17-year-old goalkeeper, to just sort of get his feet wet and to get his hands dirty and make a couple of saves, but nothing too challenging for the youngster. Then you head into this game against Red Bulls on Sunday, and anybody who knows Red Bulls at this point, energy drink soccer, it was always going to be high-tempo, mm. high-octane. And, and this was a group that always makes the game ugly. They do not play the beautiful game the way that, you know, some might interpret it, but they do make life very difficult for you. They, they press all over the field. They make the middle of the field an absolute war zone. And the fire, Arlo, for the first time, at least since I've started covering them in this Raphael Wiki era, stooped down to the level of their opponent and, and played the game a little bit in the sense that, they weren't trying to be too cute with it. They weren't trying to string together 15 passes when Red Bulls were coming flying at them. This was the most direct and the most mm. hell-bent on getting a result, excluding the performance that I've ever seen them. 
And it was really, while it was, while it was tough to watch at some points and, you know, for the first time, um, the last two games, Tony and I never sit down over the course of a game. And the last two games between NYCFC and this one, we've actually had to sit down because the energy and the, and the chances weren't as free flowing as they typically are. But it was so refreshing to see this group. Number one, Lucas Stajanovic gets two goals in the first 10 minutes and, and, you know, automatically makes it two nil and puts the fire in the driver's seat. But this is the first time that I really felt like the fire started to play for the result later in the game. They made things difficult for Red Bulls. They were playing direct. It was emergency defending. Um, and, and it was really a pleasure to see. They were engaging in some of the dark arts. You know, they were going down when it was necessary, when maybe Red Bulls were starting to gain some momentum. And they were just doing a good job of killing off the game. And and I think if there was any criticism of, of maybe why the Fire have dropped points from winning positions recently, it's because they didn't engage in those sort of things down the stretch. And it's not to say that you should go down faking an injury or anything of the sort, but there are little things you can do over the course of a game, Arlo, and you know this, to, mm -hmm. to simply kill time off the clock. And And better than that, you know, make sure that Red Bulls aren't gaining momentum and throwing numbers forward and finding a rhythm. And the fire did not let them do that. Red Bulls did the same thing to Chicago, but because Lucas Dianovich got off to such a good start and what a hit that the first goal was. I mean, he mm. just absolutely leathered it. And then, you know, the following one, Carlos Tehran gets the start. The lineup was a little bit shaky, and I think a lot of question marks were coming into it. Elliot Collier gets, you know, just his second start uh, of the season. Carlos Tehran gets just his fourth appearance at his second start as a member of the fire. Um, you know, you had Madron and Aliceda who both were out. Aliceda with a knock to his calf. Madron was undergoing health and safety protocols. And you came into this game, you saw the starting 11, you started to scratch your head a little bit. But, you know, credit to Rafael Wiki, credit to every single member of the fire who, who was on the field that day because they really put in a team effort just sort of bear down and said, we're going to get this result no matter what. The clean sheet was ruined in the last, you know, 10 seconds with the last kick of the game. But um, a big win for the Fire against the team that they're chasing in the Eastern Conference. And now they have a shot against Columbus, who they're seven points off in the playoff spot um, next Sunday at Soldier Field and, you know, to wrap up this three-game homestand. Yeah, and to and to to close to within four points, right, uh, of of the Columbus Crew, which which seemed unlikely. The first game that I did, of course, was at Crew Stadium, and and the Crew looked like they were on a slightly different level to the Fire. But this, you know, things are leveling out as the season goes on, and we've been saying all along that it's a forgiving um, system in Major League Soccer. So if you keep within touching distance in the second half of the season, you can get yourself into playoff position, and that's exactly where the Fire are at the moment. Need to keep this run going. Need to need to win away game to the first time in over a season um that's got to start fairly soon but no i think the signs are all are all very good because what, what you're talking about there tyler is game management and mm -hmm. we've seen a couple of very very disappointing results after taking two nil leads right so the first game of the season when when it looked like the fire were the greatest team in the history of major league soccer for the first <laughs> yes. 15 minutes of that game and took a two nil lead and then by half time it was two two uh the dc united game that's that's a sure sign that they've learned from that traumatic experience of being 2-0 up very late on against DC United and dominating the game and somehow conceding two late goals and, and only taking a point. So that, to me, is, is hugely encouraging. Navarro was out as well. You're missing Madran and Alisado, who are two highly technical, skillful players. And I like the fact that Rafa doesn't mind a plan B, which is, you know what, we're going to be in a war. We've got to go to the trenches here. I mean, we might not. We don't have the personnel necessarily to play a lot of champagne football, but we've got to roll our sleeves up here and get stuck in. 
So you like you like the the, the, the likes of Sekulich and Herbers, Bornstein, and Jimenez in that situation. You know, you've got O'Four who's starting his third straight game, and Collier up top. Who would have thought that they, those two will be starting a game together, spearheading a, the attack for the Chicago Fire? But they did. And what I loved about the first goal, I mean, apart from you, did you describe it? Is did he did you say he hammers it? He hammered it. I said he leathered it. He leathered it. Leathered it. Leathered it. I mean, it, yeah. and he did. It was just such a beautiful strike. But I, I love the fact that it was it was a fairly direct ball forward. Bornstein yep. got forward from left back. Collier, I thought, combined really well with a four. That layoff mm -hmm. was beautiful. Absolutely yep. on a silver platter for Lukas Steinovic to, to blast the ball home. He's still a lot of work to do and he finished it absolutely brilliantly. But that was after a minute and 50 and then five minutes, 27 seconds later, you tune it up and it's it's a long throw into the box and Tony was saying, I hate long throws. I hate long throws <laughs> until you score from one. Then I love them, you know. Um, so that was great. I mean, I, I just thought that the, the 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 crowd were into it. You know, mm -hmm. results are starting to 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 flow. I mean, it's you know, MLS is a is a league with great parity. It's hard to go on long unbeaten runs and long winning streaks because all the teams are you know around about the level of each other. Obviously, with with some discrepancies. You remember when I first arrived, they, they barely found the back of the net. Yet you're coming off a nil nil against NYCFC, but now they've got seven points out of the last three games and they're well in touching distance going into a game against. An out of form Columbus Cruise side. So let's see if we can't get this uh, this this road victory that we long have craved. Three more things that I want to hit on. Number one, Tony said at the beginning of this at the beginning of this home stretch that we needed seven points, and the Fire right now are well on their way to doing that. And this is a Columbus team that's lost their last three. They're reeling a little bit, and they've lost to some teams that they historically should not be losing to. But that's just what the way it goes. And like you said, it's a very forgiving MLS season, and things start to even out as we go along. Number two, we're seeing Chinoso 04 mature before our very eyes because there was one play in particular where he receives the ball with his back to goal. He turns, he realizes he's on a 1v5. He has no help whatsoever. <laughs> Chinoso 04, maybe three weeks ago, says, you know what? I'm going to take on these five defenders. And if I get past the first three and lose the ball in the fourth, so be it. But he puts he he again puts his back to the defender. He holds up play. He finds an outlet and he's able to hold up the ball. And like that outlet, uh, or excuse me, the layoff that he had to Lukas Stojanovic, the same mm. thing. He's maturing before our eyes. He's a young kid. He's 20 years old. He's playing his first, you know, for, full slate of MLS soccer. He is he is growing up before our very eyes. The third thing. Is and, and I didn't really want to make too big a light of this because I feel like fire fans would have started to call for my head and they would, you know, pay whatever it was to fly you back so that you could call some wins. I, that was the first <laughs> fire win that I have been on the call for since the DC game last year in October. So it's almost been a no. calendar year since I've called a fire win. Oh so my goodness. It's over. It's over. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. Of course, because I don't think big fans realized it. Yeah. And yeah, oh well, what a massive day then! Uh, well, I got a, okay. I got a, a, um, a text message from uh, Frank Klopos with uh, with you guys in the in the restaurant. Was that was that after the victory? You you Tony and Frank oh, in his new was... favorite Italian restaurant. No, that was after the nil-nil draw against NYCFC ah, okay. at, at well, Chicho Mio. Yeah. cheering up then. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. I've never been to Chicho Mio before. That place is truly outstanding. And the people there, uh, I mean, they make they oh, make it amazing. more than anything. Oh. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Uncle Frank. We need to get them on as a sponsor. 
um, because yeah, we keep, you know, we, we are we, every week we are saying that that is one of the best restaurants any of us have ever been to. So let's get them yeah, on as a sponsor. We're paying for all of the Italian bread that gets that gets imported in. Oh God, so good that bread with the burrata and the, the rigatoni that Tony ordered. It was it was too much. It was too much. But uh, you know, for the Chicago Fire, next one up. Columbus, um, you know, hopefully they're able to get Alisada back. We'll see what happens with Madron and health and safety protocols. But all things are looking up for the fire right now with a new signing. Hopefully get him back in. Um, and they're in a dog fight in the dog days of uh, in the dog days of summer here in Major League Soccer. All right, Arlo White, the Premier League is just about 24 hours away from when our fans are listening to this episode. We are recording this on a Tuesday, but we are just mere hours away from the opener, Arsenal and Brentford, you are going to be mm. on the call. Could not be more excited about that. It is, you know, like in all the international football has been great, but then there was this little lull in between it, and you're starting to get that preseason fever, and, and we're just, we're right on the precipice of what is going to be an outstanding Premier League season. Seeing the stands full of fans has been amazing. You know, listening to you Never Walk Alone from the cop, it's mm. just been truly incredible, and, and I could not be more excited for this Premier League season. And we have a great little Premier League preview uh, for the fans here. I'm going to get to some of them. Uh, in just a moment, but Arlo, I, I mean, you've you've had a summer full of Olympics. You have a summer full of Chicago Fire, but now you're getting back <laughs> to what you truly know and love in your forte in the Premier League. I know it's been a long mm. time coming for you. Hey, give me some emotions that that are running through you right now to to maybe finally call games with fans back in the stands again as well. Well, it's absolute excitement. I I, I can't wait because obviously, um, going doing a, a season and a half effectively of Premier League games without crowds, and then you know we had uh, what ten thousand strong crowds. I think the last couple of weekends of match rounds uh, of last season, which was great. You know, it's, it's amazing how much noise so few people can make. And I did, I went to the FA Cup final as a fan watching Leicester and the crowd was only about 22,000. Apparently there are only six or 7,000 Leicester fans there and they made the most incredible amount of noise when Tiedemann's goal went in. So you knew that people were up for this, you know, and, and to, to experience that again, I mean, and you know, in our job, Tyler, as well, you've done some behind closed doors uh, games down at Soldier Field. Unless you've got the the fake crowd noise in your ear, and that's what we had for Premier League, and I cranked it up as far as it would go to just suspend the reality. Um, so going to Tokyo was tough because there was no uh, fake crowd noise either. So so yeah. Julie and I had to. I listened to the, the the first callback that we did of the Sweden game, and there were exciting moments, but by and large, I felt like I was commentating, or it sounded like I was commentating on golf from the course, <laughs> you know, and, and not trying to good golf commentator. Off. Well, I, I, don't, I well, hope that's I don't not know. an insult, but you would be. You would. I'm, just, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> well, I used to do cricket, and, and that's a similar sort of thing where you're kind of a little bit more measured and quiet, and you're talking like this a little bit. Yeah. So, so you have to. We had to inject our own energy into it. Well, we won't have to do that this weekend, and hopefully for, from now on. Um, I, the first weekend is going to be absolutely sensational. So, it's it's three man booths all the way. It's uh, a re, being reunited with Lee and Graham because of my travels during the, during the summer. We usually get together for a for a london-based liquid lunch at some point um <laughs> and the, the guys have been the guys have been good enough to pick up the tab for that um on a number of occasions um and we weren't able to do that this year so i'm, I'm seeing them for the first time on friday liquid, and get, liquid lunch you're saying soup right that there's strictly soup no no i'm saying that. copious amounts of wine uh, normally oh god um, okay it's, good, it's, good. yeah it's usually usually <laughs> the order of the day and then then the gin and tonics um but um <laughs> but so we've got a, we're at the community stadium for brentford against arsenal so Brentford have been knocking on the door for a few years. They're a West London club. They're, they're a bit sort of, dare I say, AFC Richmond-esque, just with a, oh. with a newer stadium, you know. Yeah. 
Park, where they were for many years, and that was one of the smallest press boxes I've ever been in in my life. <laughs> you had to have the broadcasting equipment on your lap at Griffin Park. So I think they've they've improved that. So the community stadium looks fantastic. They've got this sort of money ball system that they've introduced. There are a lot of former Brentford players doing very well for other clubs in the Premier League. I'm thinking of Ezra Kunza. So it's going to be great to see what Brentford could, can do. It's a, it's a London derby to start things off on a Friday night. We've got a pitch side desk that returns for the first time in ages, which is just a joy because we are literally with our heels on the touchline. That the looks like the coolest up. thing ever. That, I mean, at least amazing. from where I'm sitting on my couch, it is like, that is just unbelievable. Like seeing Kevin De Bruyne pinging long balls before a City game right behind you is like, that must be the yeah. biggest trip in the world. Unbelievable. It's amazing. And it's all you can do to, to look at the camera because you want to be looking behind you with all the players that are warming <laughs> yes. up. But the, an interesting subplot for me is like, you know, Lee is a he's a Guna legend. You know, he's he played over 660 games, I think it was, for Arsenal. But in recent times... Obviously, Arsenal haven't been particularly good on the field, but you know he, he'll always be Arsenal through and through. But but his best mate, a guy called Al, has season tickets for Brentford. So they've been going, <laughs> having a few beers before COVID, and then going on his on his off weekends, going down to to watch Brentford. So he was following them as closely as I've ever seen him follow a team towards the end of the season and in the <laughs> playoff final and all that. So he's kind of a little bit torn. He loves the bees. He loves Brentford. Up and, the bees, and I think baby. he's you know up the bees. Yeah. So he's going to be. He'll know a lot more about Brentford than I do when I turn up there. Uh, despite the fact I'll do a lot of work between now and then. But it's going to be it's going to be really interesting because you've got this this new team and. I I always like new teams. I like going to new stadiums. Um, can they do it? Can they really give it a good go at staying in the Premier League, you know, against all the odds? And, and, and what a time to play Arsenal. That first night, everything's fresh. The crowds are back. It's going to be insane. So that first night is going to be fantastic. I think we've got a two-hour preview show as well before the kickoff. So I guess that would come on at about maybe, let's have a look now, 1 Eastern. So 12 noon. Uh, mm -hmm. Central Time on NBCSN. So that's going to be fantastic. The next day, so I'll probably come home and then the next day drive out to Norwich, which is quite a distance in British terms, and there's no motorway, there's no freeway to get out of there. Uh, Tyler. So if if you're caught, they're called A roads. Now, at least it's a two lane A road each side this time. Yeah. It used to be single lane. If you got caught behind a tractor, which is, is which is in Norfolk, quite likely <laughs> it could take you seven hours to get there because you couldn't overtake or anything. It's, so it's uh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, Norwich <laughs> Liverpool, so that's 11.30 Central, NBC. So I can't wait to see how Liverpool shape up and, you know, whether Van Dyke's going to start and all that sort of thing. And then Sunday, I mean, how about this? Spurs against Man City, 10.30. Oh, injected in my veins. Oh, NBCSN, Jack Grealish <laughs> making his debut. Will Harry Kane start for Spurs against the team he wants to join? I mean, there's just so much to get into with that game. And that's another pitch side desk as well. So we hit the ground running. Hopefully the jet lag will be gone by then and I'll be out of the fog <laughs> uh, and we can just uh, we can just enjoy the crowds and, and the excitement of the opening weekend of the Premier Harry League. Kane with a brace against Manchester City. That's my that's my prediction right now. He is going to play. Nuno has said um, in the past 24 to 48 hours or so, he's confident that he's going to be, be able to get Harry Kane to play. We'll see if he's going to be able to pull off some of his Nuno magic. Um, but only time will tell. Arlo, we have a few a uh, few big questions here and some debate topics that I'd like to get into. The first of which for the Premier League, which big six manager heading into this season, 2021-2022, is under the most amount of pressure? Well, I can make a very strong case for Mikel Arteta because 
Arsenal have got to get better. They've got to get better. And and it's and it's not an easy job because that is a root and branch overhaul that needs to be done uh, at the Emirates Stadium because the standards of that football club have slipped so far from what they were relatively recently as well um, yeah. that he's got a job on his hands, a real job on his hands. But I'm going to go for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And the reason mm. being, there is still no trophy. And I think he's done a terrific job. He's he's re-established Manchester United as a regular top four club now. But the, I mean, their aspirations are to be way more than that, obviously. But yeah. they they had slipped. They done they done what Arsenal have done now. Their standards have slipped to such a degree that top four was no longer a given. And and they're doing that with relative ease now. Um, but they've they're losing big games. They're losing Europa League finals that they yeah. shouldn't be losing to the likes of Villarreal. So he's got a new three year contract. And, and the Glazers, after the Super League debacle, seem to be re-engaged, or should I say, engaged with the club. <laughs> and and they are and they are spending money. You know, United have always spent money, but it seems to be, be it's being spent more wisely now. So so Jaden Sancho, you know, joining uh, an already star-studded uh, forward line as well, I, I think is is great news. Great news for the league. Will they be in a title race? I'm not entirely sure. Maybe they can they can push it until Christmas and see how they go from there. But with a, a three-year contract, with the players that he wanted and with no trophy behind him since he started, although, albeit he has stabilised the club very well, I think mm -hmm. the pressure is on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this season to win a trophy. I don't see him starting next season without a trophy on the cabinet. So I'd say the pressure, the biggest pressure in the top six, the big six, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I, I you know, I... I agree with the first shout about Mikel Arteta, and I was going back and forth between he and and Thomas Tuchel. But you know the way that you describe the situation in Manchester United, it's hard not to think that that Oligoda Sosar is not is not under pressure and, and and shouldn't be at the top of that list. And um, and he has done an incredible job with what he's been given. And I think that the signings that they've brought in during his time, you know, Bruno Fernandes, you know, they've done well and they've helped them get back to a place. Did you where just say Fernandes? Fernandes, yes, I said. Oh Fernanche. no, don't. <laughs> Are you going down? Are you going there? Been, no, 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 I've been, I've been hypnotized. I've been hypnotized. I've been, I've oh been my trained. God. <laughs> Don't you start that business? I, I have Robbie Musto saying, uh, uh, doing his Zs as the, 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 uh, during the gold medal match the other day. Uh, yeah. The Derek Rayization of pronunciations uh, in yeah. the United States is is really catching uh, is catching on, isn't it? Well, there's uh, and the other the other thing though, and I should I should mention there's a, there's a member of my family who is Portuguese and speaks fluent oh. Portuguese, and I and I've had a conversation with them about this before, and and they're like it's it's Fernandes, and I said, well, you know, every other commentator that I listen to says Fernandez because that's the anglicized version, and he said he was okay with that, but you know that is neither here nor there. Do but you know I'll who's okay with it? Do you know who's okay with it? Bruno no, Fernandes, okay and that'll yes, do me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's good enough for me. <laughs> Sorry, I, I stopped right. you in full flow. No, 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 no. That's 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 a good reason to stop me in full flow uh, for two commentators <laughs> to have a to have a dig at pronunciation. But Bruno Fernandez has done an excellent job since coming in. Um, but for me, and and of course our, our producer Andrew Williams is a massive Chelsea fan and a massive Chelsea alpha, um, which is redundant in 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 its essence. But <laughs> I think that given given the the finish to last season, beating Manchester City in Champions League, given the amount of money that they've spent over the past you know couple of years, bringing in Tuchel, and and the way that they turned the ship around, buying Lukaku, 
and having all of this talent and and having one Champions League and knowing the culture at Chelsea. And like you said, you know, that is a club that's going to chew you up and spit you out if you don't perform the way that you're supposed to perform. Uh, they are not to, like you said, win a trophy. I think that Tuchel could be gone. I think that if they get off to a slow start, that Tuchel could be gone mm -hmm. before the end of the season. And by a slow start, I mean like hovering around fifth or sixth. If they don't come out of the gates absolutely flying, I think that there's going to be question marks around Tuchel's head. And it, and I think that most of it has to do with, and, and, and this sort of comes with it, right? Has to do with the gravitas and the nature of the club mm -hmm. rather than maybe what happened. Because if you look at what Tuchel did at the end of last season, he it was all gravy. I mean, given, given what happened at the beginning of the season to the end, if someone were to tell you that they were going to win Champions League and finish the way that they did, mm. every Chelsea fan would have signed up for it. But now here we come in and say, and that there's all this pressure around Thomas Tuchel and to get the most out of the likes of Kai Havertz, to get the most out of the likes of Christian Pulisic, who's going to be playing in a new position. You know, if he's going to be tinkering with the lineup like this and bringing in Lukaku and having that sort of, um, you know, killer instinct in the final third, which they did lack at times last year, but they were still able to win a Champions League. For me, I think that the most amount of pressure is on Thomas Tuchel to, you know, maybe not even just win a trophy because they did win champions last year. I, you know, and if we were to have this, this, you know, debate as to who's going to win it for me right now, I think it's going to be Chelsea and United to win the league. And we can get into this at some point later, but mm. I, I, I think that given the way that Manchester city are lined up right now with De Bruyne and Phil Foden, um, you know, not being healthy and not going to be around for the start of the season. You have three players, three big players from Manchester city who want out the makeup of that locker room right now is not the makeup of a championship winning team for me. They'll win some trophy. It's not the community shield. They'll win some trophy this year. I just don't know if it's going to be premier league, but for me, I think Thomas Tuchel uh, has, has the most amount of pressure heading into the season. Yeah, I think it's a good argument. And 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 here's the thing. You mentioned the end of last season. They were in four, uh, they were, yeah, they got themselves into the top four. Liverpool were clearly coming on the on along on the rails. Mm -hmm. Um, they lost at home to Arsenal, they lost the FA Cup final to Leicester City, they then beat Leicester in the Premier League, leaving it in their own hands for the final day of the season. Yep. And they lost to Aston Villa. Now, had less and Leicester were in the lead twice against Tottenham. Had they held on to that lead, and but, I mean they got they got blitzed in the end. But had they held on to that lead, Chelsea would not have been in the in the top four, and they would have gone into the Champions League final against Manchester City, having beaten them, you know, twice already um, under Thomas Tuchel. But the the pressure would have been to win the trophy, but also to be in the Champions League for the following season. But he pulled out a great result in the final of the Champions League. I thought tactically Pep Guardiola got it wrong, dare I say. Arlo White's <laughs> football commentator <laughs> says Pep gets it wrong. But, you know, um, I say that and, and people should take that with a, with a pinch of salt. But, you know, there, there were sort of certain tactical things that he did. No Fernandinho, um, no no holding midfielder, actually, which was, which, was, which was odd. And that played into Chelsea's hands. But anyway, so... He got them into a position to win, to get into the top four, to win the FA Cup and to win the Champions League. And they almost blew it. So mm -hmm. I agree with you in that, you know, they need to get off to a decent start. I believe that they will be in a champ in a in a title race with with Manchester City. I strongly believe that. I think Kai Havertz, we mm -hmm. saw glimpses and he scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. Um, but you know, big player, Pulisic, big player, Conte, big player, Jorginho is a European champion with Italy, Lukaku's come back in, you know. So I yeah, and defensively they they've been absolutely, absolutely excellent. So but Get off to a good start because if you don't get off yep. to a good start at Chelsea, you you lose your job before Christmas, as we've yes. seen that with Mourinho. We've yes. seen just after Christmas with with Lampard. So you know they're not shy in in firing managers. You got to win. So the Champions League victory will be a distant memory if they are fifth in December.
Absolutely. Best signing so far. Um, I'm going to take this right off the bat, and I'm going to say it's not really even close. Rafael Varane, Manchester United. I think there's two center backs in the world for me that are, are the best, and you could throw Ruben Diaz in there as well. Let's call it three. Mm-hmm. I think it's Virgil van Dijk. It's Rafael Varane. We'll see what van Dijk looks like after the ACL repair. But, um, you know, for United to bring him in, and, and it's not only to bring a, a player of that caliber in, but to now slot him next to Harry Maguire, who's coming off of a sensational Euros and is probably playing the best football of his career so far. I think that with the two of them, you're now solidified one of the best defenses um, in in all of England. And I think that given w- what Luke Shaw brought to the table and and exercising some of his, you know, Pep Guardiola de- or Jose Mourinho demons, excuse me, not Pep Guardiola. Um, I-, I think that bringing in him and now having that defense solidified, obviously we know what they can do on the attacking end. Mm. Um, I-, I think that that's by far the best signing uh, of the Premier League in the offseason. Yep, yep, absolutely. Can't wait to see him play. I'm going, it's a fairly obvious one, but I'm going with Jack Grealish on this one because mm. um, I love him. <laughs> I, I just absolutely <laughs> love him. My, my favourite player of all time, English player. Yeah, no, favourite player of all time was all Paul time. Gascoigne. Uh, oh, oh okay. Paul Gascoigne is head and shoulder. For me, for, for me, I yeah. loved watching him play. I, um, I, I had a personal experience where I was on holiday in the south of France with my family and there are loads of people from Newcastle are called Geordies. And mm-hmm. there were loads of these Geordie accents around. And it turned out that it was Gaz's friend. And he had this friend called Jimmy Five Bellies. And he, and you know, he got that nickname for a Jimmy reason, obviously. Jimmy Five Bellies. Jimmy Five Bellies. He, he dove into the pool at the campsite and he dives in, the water dives out. You know what I mean? He was, he was a, he was a big fella. Liked his, liked his ale, as did the rest of them. Gaz's dad was there. Gaz's dad's friends. At the time he was playing for Newcastle United and the, and the England under, sorry, the under 21 tournament in Toulon was taking place about five miles away down the road so they were staying mm. in caravans on this campsite and um you got a glimpse into the background and, and 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 where he grew up and how he grew up and it was quite chaotic and um but they were saying like gaz is going to be captain of england one day you won't believe how good he is and me and my friend andy who were still pals now were like really you know he plays in the second division for newcastle i mean i'm sure he's all right and you're his dad and whatever but he turned out to be just sensation but a very troubled man jack was going in a similar direction a few years ago you were seeing yeah. arrests and duis and COVID, breaking covid restrictions and all that sort of stuff and you think oh jack don't be a party boy you yeah. know dedicate yourself a, a to Wilshire. your craft yeah yeah, yeah. dedicate yourself yeah. to the craft and that's what he's done he's buckled down i mean he's just a, <laughs> he, his legs are like tree trunks but he is so Good to watch. He's a maverick in the in the Gaza mold. And what's mm. going to be interesting is Pep loves him, but Pep likes certain players to play in certain areas, and you've got to do what you're told. Yep. It's, there's no, there's no, there's room for flair for for great individual skill, but you've got to conform to the bigger picture strategically and tactically. Thierry Henry once told me on the way into Old Trafford, I'll pick up that name in a minute, but he did, we're walking in and I said about Pep, I said, you know, what's he like? <laughs> he said, I went to Barcelona thinking I was the bee's knees. I played for Arsenal, you know, we, we, we'd won everything domestically, got to a Champions League final. And there was a game when we were 4-0 up and, and I'd been told to stay on the, on the left third of the pitch. And I went wandering for the ball. I got the ball at one point. I scored a goal and I got back in and I got the biggest quote-unquote bollocking of my entire career. <laughs> because Pep said, if you're not going to do what I tell you, I don't care whether we're 4-0 up and then you score and we win 5-0. I told you not to do yep. that. So Thierry's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to conform. I want to be here. I want to want, want to win trophies. I want to learn things. So I don't, don't know whether, they... whether Pep's evolved or whether he's still as, as rigid as that. 
um, or he knows he's signing a free spirit, so might allow for a little bit of of, of Jack Magic. Um, but you know, to 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 see him play for Man City is good news for England. It's terrible news for Aston Villa. I do feel for Villa fans because, but you know, be supporting a club like Leicester, you're used to losing players that you mean the world to you. It's so hard, mm-hmm. like Mares, for example, going to Man City. But you know, it's all part of football. Um, and and we'll we'll see how Jack does. If they sign Kane as well, you've got you know you've got Foden, you've got Sterling potentially if he stays. And and that's exciting for England. It's just so exciting going into a 2022 World Cup if these guys can get a rapport going. So so Jack Grealish for me, and I'm going to be biased towards Leicester, I'd say just keep an eye on Pat Sundaka. Came in from Leipzig and um, he's going to put pressure on Jamie Vardy, who's advancing mm-hmm. in years. I like his character. I like him as a footballer. Leicester very rarely get it wrong. He's already scored a lovely goal against QPR in a, in a preseason friendly. So, uh, yeah, so look out for Patson Dacker as well, striker at Leicester City. He could be a big one. Okay. All right, I dig it. And I also, do you want to pick up that Thierry Henry, Thierry Henry name drop now? It's still on the floor. If Just you down want. here. Yeah, if Just you down here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave it till after the pod. Yeah. <laughs> All right, golden boot winner. This is a bit of a tricky one this year, mm. at, at least for me. I've, I've gone back and forth on this. Um, I've, got, I've got two thoughts, and it's not because I'm a Liverpool fan. Number mm. one is Mo Salah. Yep. I think that that's a you know that's an e- that's an easy money you know sort of pick. It's a safe bet. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's going to be too. It's not moving the needle at all. The other one, um, Esikavani. I mean, I think that given the amount of talent that's around him and now getting a full slate with Manchester United, I mean, if you think about who's going to be delivering the ball into him and where, and just finding himself, you know, finishing off plays and finishing off moves that we all know are going to come to fruition for Manchester United this season, I think that he's just going to have a boatload of these easy tap-ins and he's just going to be, and he's obviously a, a great footballer, but he is 34 years of age, but I mm. do think that he's going to be in, in a loads of positions to just be able to finish off moves for Manchester United. So, you know, easy money pick is Mo Salah, but I think that if we're if we're maybe going off the beaten path a little bit, then then, then Cavani. I if Danny if sorry if Jack Grealish was still at Aston Villa, I think Danny Ings would have a shout. But whether Villa were going to score enough goals, you yeah. know, or provide enough yeah, chances yeah. because he's such a good player. Romelu Lukaku, I think, is going to score yep. a lot of goals for Chelsea. Yeah, but if Harry Kane signs for Manchester City. Oh, he'll get over. a million. He'll over, get yeah. a million goals, you know, and <laughs> and I think I think I think you could be looking if he signs for City, you could be looking at, at Mo Salah's record of thirty four in a thirty eight game season. I think mm-hmm. it's thirty four. Um, that could be that could be in doubt. So if if Kane goes to City, I'll say him. If not, Romelu Lukaku. Yeah, Kane. Kane will get as much money uh, per week as Messi's getting as in goals. You know, it's going to be a million a week. <laughs> That's how many goals Harry Kane's going to get. Um, you know, our producer, Andrew, Andrew Williams, he had to get a little dark on us here. Biggest disappointment in the Premier League this season. Biggest disappointment. Well, they've been around. I was, (laughs) I mentioned earlier, I stopped by, um, Rebecca Lowe's studio and she was doing, I think she was doing her 800th live show of the Olympic games or something (laughs) ridiculous. She worked so hard. Um, and, uh, you know, in testing circumstances, as I've, as I've explained, yeah. she's a little bit concerned about her Crystal Palace this year. Um, as she should be. And yeah. And Patrick Vieira coming in is an interesting one because I don't know what Patrick Vieira's football philosophy is. I, I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, look, even it, it, even even watching me. him. Yeah, even watching him at, at at NYCFC, I couldn't really tell you what his footballing philosophy was. It yeah, didn't go yeah. particularly well. It wasn't an outstanding run yeah. that he had at NYCFC. And and like yeah. Tony Miola always says, you know, he's just like 
you know, I, the first thing I want to do when I'm watching somebody is know what what they're trying to do on the football field. I want to know mm. what a coach's objectives are. I don't know if we really got that when we saw him in Major League Soccer, but anyway. No, no, and 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 that's a concern. Um, and you look, he did, like you say, he did okay at NYCFC. At um, NYCFC, he did okay at Nice uh, until mm -hmm. that last season. Um, so it's a, it's a strange one. You know, th this is a football club that, that have been, and Rebecca was saying, you know, when they got promoted, when we got the rights, she was expecting to be one and done. And they've been there wow. ever since. I think it might be the second season. So she, she might have got eight seasons in the top flight consecutively for Crystal Palace. And they've very rarely been in massive trouble. They, they've mm -hmm. always been between like 12th and 16th, you know. Um, but they did have a start to a season a few years ago when they when they appointed Frank De Boer, and we know how that ended. I think they I think he was fired inside six games. They hadn't scored a goal yet, you know. In the, and that, in the eyes of Jose Mourinho, the worst Premier League manager in the yeah, history of the Premier yeah. League. And statistically, it's hard to argue. Um, Bob Bradley's he, up there, I guess. Yeah, well, he hasn't gone on to, yeah. to do a great deal since, has he, Frank de Boer? But yeah. anyway, so it, it has it has echoes of that. They had a lot of uh, players out of contract at the end of the season. They signed some, you know, likes of Gary Cahill have gone, but they signed Benteke. So uh, it's one of those where it could be a massive struggle for, for Crystal Palace this year. This may, may be the season where they finally kind of, they, 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 they're in a relegation dogfight and they disappear. Or they could finish 14th again, you know, with 42 mm -hmm. points. And that, that's that's kind of a typical Palace season. But I, I, I predict disappointment for fans of Crystal Palace. Oh, God. Wilfred Zaha. He's you saying he's not going to be in the Premier League anymore? No, he'll get picked up by somebody. Yeah, um, yeah. I've I've played with Wilfred Zaha before, um, and let's just say there were there were a number of times where the ball happened to roll through my legs, um, and it was it was not pretty. But so are you you, know, you saving are you after the pot? Are you picking up that name or uh... yes? Uh, no, I'll pick it up right now. Just just because so you've been megged, be you've been megged by Zaha. Been by Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm honored. I'm honored. Honestly, there's not Please many other players I'd want to be way. by. <laughs> better players than you have been megged by by Wilfred Zaha. <laughs> it's something he does with great regularity. <laughs> Bruno, Bruno Fernandes has been megged by <laughs> Wilfred Zaha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, my my biggest disappointment, Arlo, and it's 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 based on the fact that the bar is just set so incredibly high. And I alluded to this earlier when we were talking about, you know, managers who have the most amount of pressure and, and Pep, I don't think the pressure is, is there necessarily. It's always there just because it's man city at this mm -hmm. point. But I, I think man city are going to be a disappointment this year. And, and a disappointment for man city is finishing in third. You know, that's, that's more oh, or less yeah. how I'm looking at it. But given the fact that, you know, these footballers have been put through so much over the, over the past 18 months, it's not a surprise that any of them, that that a lot of them are getting hurt, but it's just sort of the world that we're living in. I mean, Phil Foden is not available for the start of the season. Kevin De Bruyne is not available for the start of the season. You have mm. Bernardo Silva, Emmerich Laporte, and Gabi Jesus, who all say that they want out. These are not, you know, these are not players mm. to, you know, turn your nose up at. These are significant players. Bernardo Silva does an incredible amount, whether it be on the field. I know he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time. He's upset with the weather. Um, you know, at this point, you know, he's been in Manchester long enough to, to know that the weather's going to be like this and it sucks, but he's, he's apparently getting tired of it. Um, you know, if they don't get Harry Kane, obviously bringing Grealish is going to be Whether that's going to be a thing or a bad thing, only time will tell. But I think given the fact that De Bruyne has been, been nursing these injuries, you know, it came out of the Champions League game. Um, you know, he's got some issues in his ankle. He, he went to go see a doctor in Barcelona. 
if if he has a long-term battle with this ankle injury, Kevin De Bruyne, and he obviously makes them go, he makes the Premier League go. He's one of the best attacking players, not only in the Premier League, but in the world. If he's not healthy, and if these issues aren't resolved with these contracts for mm. Manchester City, I think you're looking at a season for City that is not the one that a lot of us came into the season expecting. Um, and again, it's because the bar is set so high, but I think that you you could be potentially looking at a disappointing season for Manchester City, and that's why I think that United and Chelsea have a real shot at, at, at winning the Premier League this year. Because if City aren't in it, and if Liverpool don't get back to full fitness and Virgil van Dijk doesn't start, then I think that those two teams have a real shot. But for City, uh, I think that it could end up being a disappointing season. Okay, that's going to be very interesting to watch. And Bernardo Silva, yeah, no, look, I, I, I hear him about the, uh, I hear him about the weather. I mean, it is awful <laughs> in Manchester, but, but I also see a player that's played an awful lot of football over the last few years, and I think that, that he might be trying to future-proof his own career. Uh, a little yeah. bit because I think playing for Pep in certain positions is is rewarding. You get trophies, you 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 earn lots of money, you have great successes, um, mm-hmm. and you learn a lot. But you you are tired, uh, and, and there's there's a shelf life I think before you burn out. And I, and I wonder if if Bernardo Silva might be approaching. It might be approaching that point in, in thinking, well, I want to be playing for X amount of years. I need to you go to a league beat. where you know the lifestyle is better, the weather's better, but also. It's not quite as punishing on the body, um, yep. and I think the, the the signing of of Grealish has probably tipped tipped him over the edge. A breakthrough star, then Tyler. Who have you got for your breakthrough star of this new Premier League season? Hmm. Breakthrough star. You know, my my first inkling, just because I've I've been watching some Liverpool preseason games and because he's struggled since coming over. And I think a lot of Liverpool fans have been frustrated with him, especially the price tag that was on him. And and he might finally be able to get the playing mm-hmm. time because of because of the um you know the departure of Wijnaldum, Jordan Henderson starting to age a little bit. I, I think that Naby Keita could be due for a really, really, really strong season for Liverpool. He looks fit, he looks fresh. Um, you know, he's putting in the work, he's putting in challenges, he looks clean in the attacking third. Um, I think that Navi Keita, if given the chance and, you know, if they don't bring in somebody midseason or something along those lines and he becomes a, a week in week out starter for Liverpool, I think they're finally going to Liverpool fans are finally going to see the Navi Keita that they were hoping to see when he when he came over um, a couple of years ago. And and again, I, you know, I watch a lot of Liverpool and I know that that's that has something to do with it. But again, it's one of those things where I know that he hasn't been up to up to, you know, up to the task recently. But I think that he mm. might be a, a big breakout star for Liverpool. Yep, it's a, a player that that Liverpool fans, some Liverpool fans, have only just started really grumbling about. It's a bit yeah. like, well, do we cut? Do we cut our losses? Mm-hmm. And and you know, maybe he's not the player that we thought he was going to be. But like you say, preseason form looks looks pretty good. Look, it's hard for me to make a case that this guy's a breakthrough star because he scored the winner in a Champions League final. <laughs> yep. So uh, he's kind of already there, but. For, for similar reasons that you just stated about Naby Keita, and look, you know, I, I could come out with some obscure Colombian who's just signed for Brighton or something yeah, like that, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to go Kai Havertz, and and the reason being mm. that that when I when I say breakout star, I mean he could be, he's a player that could go from well, he looks good, he looks like he could be something into genuine world class, reliable, match winning, you know, consistent superstar for Chelsea. You know, he he had that bout of COVID in November. Frank Lampard was saying that, you know, it really hit him hard. And it took a long time for him to come back from it. He's very young. I think he's only 21. And he was in a new country. He was isolating. You know, very, very difficult. You know, we, we've seen it with uh, Ignacio Aliceda as well, haven't we? When, you know, you go to a completely different culture, there's a different language, there's a different 
different way of playing. You haven't got your family around you, and all of a sudden you, you're on your own every day, and it's tough. So Havertz came through that. He was getting much better towards the end of the season, and he just has this sort of lovely, relaxed style yeah. to him. He's just a lovely footballer to watch. He's he's very fluent when he plays and he glides and he drops shoulders and he I just his football brain is fantastic so so my breakthrough star yes you've already heard of him but but when it comes to going from potential to the real deal the finished article for me it's Kai Havertz this year I, I like that I like that pick a lot and I also another one I want to throw in there is Juan Basaka and I know that he has all mm. of these these raw abilities and when you watch him play this this guy clearly has but, you know, in terms of like true 1v1 defending and maybe, you know, cleanliness in the attacking third and some of his technical ability can be cleaned up. I think that if Manchester United are going to make a push for the Premier League, you know, and you look at some of these teams that have won over the past couple of years, you get more out of a guy that you didn't expect to. You look at Manchester City last year, Phil Foden was absolutely sensational. It was his breakout season. It was his coming out party. We knew he was a good footballer, but he was putting it in week in and week out with Manchester City. You look at Liverpool two years ago, you got way more out of Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold than you ever could have hoped for. I mean, these two were clearly the best two fullbacks, um, you know, in the Premier League, if not, you know, vying for that, for that honor uh, across the world as well. I think that Manchester United are going to need to get more out of Juan Bissaka if they are going to make a push for the Premier League. And I think that he has all the abilities to be that guy. Um, so I'm going to throw him into the mix as well, just so I don't, you know, completely look uh, like like a biased red the entire time. Yeah, um, I like our, our, it. I like it. All right. Our last one. Surprise package. Biggest surprise. Well, I I would like to. I would like Brentford to give it a real go because I think mm. for more for more than one reason. I like I like the freshness of them. I like their approach. I like that they're a real part of the community in West London. Um, you know, I enjoy going down to London anyway. So any any more sort of opportunities to do that, I think, would be fantastic. It will be very very difficult for them. I like their manager, um, and, and by surprise, I mean you know staying up for Brentford is, is just is what they what they that's the bare minimum yeah. of what they of, of what they want to do. So they could be a surprise package in in that respect and and again it's hard to sort of I, I i don't see a i don't see a brighton or a or a or a villa without Grealish. although i think they're very well run these days you know pushing up for for europa league um i don't see wolves maintaining you know the 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 standards that they've that they've achieved in recent seasons because of the players that they've lost and the injuries that they've had so it's hard to say there'll be a surprise, I guess, but I think Leeds United are going to have a great season. I really do, because yeah. there's one thing that that may be people in America who are fairly recent converts to the Premier League. You'll know about Leeds. You'll know that Leeds is one of the biggest cities in England. You'll know that they they disappeared for 16 years when they had all these financial problems. You know, they got to a Champions League semi-final and then the whole thing financially just imploded and, and through series of terrible ownership. They were never able to get back very quickly, you know. So I, I remember going to a League One playoff game against Carlisle United and they lost at home and there were 40,000 fans there. So they, they've underachieved for so long. But the Bielsa Leeds thing is, is a match made in heaven. And they were exhilarating to watch last year. Now you wait until you hear a 42,000 strong crowd mm. at Ellen Road. They are the loudest set of fans in England. And the the ground, I mean, it can also be quite aggressive, and it can also be a little bit ooh, kind of, you know, it's not very pleasant sometimes, particularly if you're yeah. a, a way away player. But it's it's intimidating, and it's it's unbelievably loud. And Lee Dixon will will tell you that it's the loudest 
football stadium he's ever played in. So I can't wait to experience that. I think I've got Leeds against Liverpool in the in the opening few weeks of the season. And I think with the help of that crowd, I think they're going to push for Europa League. That's what I really hope for Leeds United because yeah. it's like I always think a strong Liverpool is good for the Premier League. I think a strong Leeds United is good for the Premier League. A strong 100%. Aston Villa is good for the Premier yep. League because they're big cities, you know, and, and they've got big fan bases and great histories. So my surprise package in terms of achieving more than they did last year and maybe pushing for Europa League will be Leeds United. Over under in the, in the amount of goals for that uh, Leeds and Liverpool game? We set it at about five oh, and a half? Five and a half, yeah. Because I, I think it'll be half. seven. Yeah, I think it'll be yeah, four seven. three. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest surprise, um, I'm going to say the Canaries. I, I think the Canaries are staying up this year. I think Norwich is going to put in a good shift. I think that, you know, with the likes of Billy G coming over from Chelsea on loan, um, I think the, the signing of Josh Sargent will get into that. I think Norwich, given the way that they played at the end of the championship season, they really had it wrapped up more or less from start to finish. You know, they're always going to be one of, one of the three teams that we're going to um, – that we're going to get into the Premier League this year. Um, I think Norwich City, you know, given a few pieces here and there, are, are going to um, certainly do better than they did last time around that they were in the Premier League um, when they were they were basically relegated by Christmas. Um, I think that they're I, I think that they're going to surprise some people this year. I really do. I think that they've added just enough. They got some players on loan. Um, they are going to stay up, which again is sort of like yours. Staying up is the surprise, uh, and and I'm I'm all in on the Canaries this year. I After hope so. Play I really. Yeah, yeah, indeed. The weekend. I love them. As a football club, I love them. The people are fantastic. It's a lovely part of England. It's very friendly, very welcoming, almost too nice, you know, <laughs> to a degree. Oh. And they sort of, they live in this sort of like footballing purgatory where they're too good for the championship and they're not good enough for the Premier League. <laughs> but they are very responsibly run. Um, so they're not going to break the bank. They're not going to sell the family silver. So, yes, I've, I've got a real soft spot for the Canaries and I hope you're right. All right, Arlo, time for my side of the pond. We're going to start with you, my friend. What do you got for number one? Well, the biggest story in football for, for many years, arguably, and it's got to be Lionel Messi, hasn't it? So I'm going away from England here. I'm going to, to Barcelona and then to, to, to Paris. Um, mm. You know, 16th of July, not a long time ago. Uh, for me, it feels like four years ago. But um, he agreed a five-year deal, deal uh, with Barcelona on, on you know, reduced wages. And, and a piece appeared to have broken out because his deal was allowed to elapse on, Jan on July the 1st. And that, and that entire idea has been scuppered by, by La Liga because Barcelona's finances are abs an absolute nightmare so yeah. so and he's not going to he's not going to pay he's not going to play for nothing i mean he could have reduced his demands a little bit i guess but but i think this has been cooked up for a while so you know you're joining Sergio Ramos how about that but <laughs> he never thought he was going to be a teammate of Sergio Ramos but but he's going to be there with uh, with Neymar again um and and I think this is going to be very very interesting. I, I think the whole debacle is very damaging for for Barcelona in the way that it's all been handled. And and now La Liga as a league have lost Ronaldo and Messi within a couple of years of each. So where does that leave the league as a whole? I don't know. With with the big clubs being in the financial messes that they are, no wonder they need the Super League. No wonder they want the Super League because <laughs> they they are just an absolute mess. Um, so Lionel Messi, let's see how he does because Paris Saint-Germain, much like Manchester City, new money from the Middle East, haven't won the Champions League yet. So they'll be hoping that Lionel Messi is going to be the one to, to get them over the line. I understand why he's made the move because they can satisfy his financial demands. They can satisfy his Champions League demands. 
And and on an average week, he's not going to be kicked anywhere near as much or have to work anywhere near as hard as he would have to do in the Premier League. So I understand why he's not come to the Premier League and he's gone to gone to Ligue 1 because it will just be plain easier. But the idea will be that they win the Champions League with Lionel Messi. And hopefully, you know, two-year contract with the with the option of of a third, what is it, one million euros a week. So, you know, the Wolves won't be at the door at the Messi household, will they, for very long, much longer. And then hopefully he goes over to it to round things off at MLS. So, fascinating, absolutely fascinating, and a true end of a footballing era. And the start of a new era, as they're dubbing it M&M, Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi. So we will see wow. uh, all the all the promotional aspects that will come with that and, and some of our favorite chocolate candies. All right, my first thing from this side of the pond, Arlo White. Remember that that fellow that we were talking about, Ricardo Pepe, was the youngest player to ever score a hat trick in in Major League Soccer. I, I think I, we we covered him on a, on a my side of the pond. I think it was I think it was a couple episodes ago. So Ricardo Pepe, um, you know, this is a young player who who was going to get some time this year. We knew he was going to be a solid footballer. He he's getting some looks from Europe, but coming into the season, I think that him being an All Star was a bit of a stretch. And, their social media manager over at FC Dallas also thought that. So he basically threw down a challenge to the FC Dallas fans and says, you know what? If Ricardo Pepe is named an all-star this year for Major League Soccer, I'm going to go ahead and get a tattoo of Ricardo Pepe. <laughs> all-star teams came out. Who's on the list? Ricardo Pepe. So true to, his, true to his word, uh, the social media manager for FC Dallas, who's going to remain nameless, uh, got this got this great tattoo just right on his forearm for everybody to see. And and the social media manager looks like he, he spends a lot of time in the weight room as well. He's got some big old forearms. He looks like he plays Major League Baseball. He gets this tattoo of Ricardo Pepe. It's a train. And it just has Ricardo Pepe's face on the front of the train. It's unbelievable. Um, so shout so out to the social media. He didn't put it on his media. back. He didn't put it somewhere no, where no, you couldn't really like, see it. Was, it. It's on the it was, forearm. It's on the oh forearm for everybody to see. For everybody to see. Um, that so, is so well, I, I admire it. that. It's, it is the most MLS-y thing you could possibly think of, but I am here for it every single day of the week. Hats off to the social media manager over at FC Dallas. And, and credit to Ricardo Pepe, who very much is going to be headed to your side of the pond um, probably sooner rather than later, Ardo. Number two, what do you got? Leicester City Football Club. You know I'm biased towards them when on things like this and and in my everyday life. Obviously not when I'm on the mic for, for NBC because that's a completely different situation. But they've won the Community Shield. They've beaten Manchester City. I don't care whether it was an understrength Manchester City. I don't care. And anyone now that tells you that the Community Shield isn't a proper trophy, they're, they're wrong. I'm convinced now that that is a real trophy um, and that should be counted. So since 2000... Leicester City Football, little old Leicester City Football Club have won every major trophy in English football and got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I cannot still believe it. I mean, I just can't <laughs> believe it. So they won the League Cup way back then under Martin O'Neill. In fact, they won two in about three years and reached another final. But anyway, they won the League Cup in 2000. They win the Premier League in 2016. They win the FA Cup in 2021. And they win the, Cha- the Community Shield against Manchester City. So they've been to Wembley twice this year, beating Chelsea 1-0 and beating Manchester City 1-0. And you look at the amount of trophies that Spurs have won in that time, that Arsenal have won in that time, that Everton have won in Newcastle, Villa, all these bigger, so-called bigger clubs haven't won as much as Leicester City have. It's bonkers. The only one missing, by the way, and since 2000, they've also won the League Two title when they went down to the third division for the first time, and they've won the championship with 102 points. So it's title town. Leicester is title town. Title town, England. 
So honestly, it's getting to the point now where you could put it up against some of the greatest achievements in the in the history of English football. And I love it. And I long may it continue. And the next trophy will be the Europa League. And then and then we might just go down to League Two just for a laugh to win that and complete the full set and win the Johnson Paints Trophy or the Football League Trophy, whatever it's called. And then we'll have every trophy in England. And I want statues of all of these trophies. I want flags with all the trophies on. And I want statues of players. And Kelechi Acho put in a penalty. And that's a statue. Vardy yep. wants statues. And I just want this. I want recognition for how magnificent Leicester City Football Club have been over the last 20 years. Uh, you know, it, it, it really is, first of all, my two favorite things to hear you talk about on this pod are pronunciations of, of Portuguese players on, <laughs> on Manchester United. And then you listening and then listening to you talk about Leicester City because it really is astonishing. I don't think, I still don't think that Americans truly understand what it means for a club like Leicester to have been as successful as they have been over the past five or six years. We don't get it. We simply do not get it because there just doesn't exist this these these lower tiers these lower divisions in the united states these teams yeah yeah like you know the cleveland cavaliers you know winning you know finally winning a championship and the city of cleveland are finally champions again but you've been in the league you've had lebron like we don't get it it is it is truly Mm -hmm. astonishing to have to be a fan of a club like that who you know you can make the argument we're we're sometimes in purgatory much like norwich and you know just didn't Mm. we're not a big club and it's just it's just a fact and to i mean I'm truly happy for you because this it, it, it's something that is incredibly special and it gave not only just the footballing world, but the sporting world, just this pure moment of ecstasy and hope and belief. And uh, I, I just hope that it continues for you and you don't slip back into that reality at some point in time. But um, it has to sure it, it really yeah, is incredible. It may happen at some point, Tyler, but we take trophies with us and nobody ever takes them away so that those those experiences yep. have been had. And, and I was thinking about it the other day. I, I wish nothing but the best for the likes of Harry Maguire and Golo Conte. Who can't like Golo Conte? Riyad Mahrez, <laughs> Ben Chilwell, uh, those sort of guys. But I, I, I've got to say, there is a massive sense of satisfaction at beating Man United in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup last year. Chelsea in the final, when Ben Chilwell thought he scored an equaliser. I've got yeah. to admit, that was quite a cool moment. And then, <laughs> and then you know, beating Man City in the in the Community Shield as well with, with Riyad Mahrez. So, you know, I, I, they served the club fantastically. Um, they won titles, and, and then they left. and 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 I can understand why they did for their own career progression. Um, but to beat them in big games as well has been amazing. So, uh, yeah, good time just, to just be a Leicester quickly, fan. Let's see what happens. Just quickly, I want to ask you this question because I heard it being debated um, elsewhere. Would you trade your FA Cup for a top four finish right now? No, never. No, not in a million years. Not in a million really? years. Really. I would, I would rather get relegated than give up the FA Cup. I've wanted it my entire life. Um, <laughs> we were, we were never. I swear, and this is about, you know, this is about getting it. Maybe it's a generational thing as well. I don't know. But um, when, when I was growing up, a Leicester fan, um, to win the League Cup was absolutely extraordinary. We'd won one trophy in our history. That was the League Cup in in the sixties. We'd won six. Now we've won seven championship titles because of that purgatory situation the yo-yoing up and down between mm-hmm. the top flight and the second division now the yeah. idea that we'd ever win the the top flight i mean it impossible utterly mm-hmm. so we no one ever talked about it so what people did talk about was if you get a good draw you get a bit of luck so you know you score a goal off someone's backside in the final and when a big club have a bad day then you could win an fa cup and I love that competition so much that it was the it was a missing trophy, and and to win that. And I've got a friend who's a Wigan fan, 
and they they went down to League One. And I said, if you could, if I could wave a wand and you be back in the Premier League, but I've got to take your FA Cup win away from you, would you take it? He went, no, not in a million years, because. Mm. Football for me is about glory. It's about winning trophies. It's about celebrating. It's about success. It's it's about boasting to to to, to friends who support different clubs and and all that. And that's what trophies bring. So yeah, top four would be great. Don't get me wrong. I don't not want to finish in the top four. And it's been frustrating to fall out of the, into fifth in the last week of the last two seasons. I wanted mm. Liverpool to be in the Champions League because they deserve to be there. And it, it was a great story with the Allison header against West Brom. But but the the FA Cup, I cannot tell you. And and to be there with my dad, who was at the last time we got to the final and lost in 1969 to win that for the first time ever was amazing and I, w- I wouldn't swap it for the world I'd go down to League wow. 2 yeah I'd I swear and then we have Leicester City till we die and that would be that would be the next Netflix uh, the, yeah. the Netflix series and we'd have to we'd have to watch Arlo in a pub somewhere drinking himself into <laughs> yeah, an oblivion yeah. <laughs> and he, then he'd be like I regret it I regret it I, I, I didn't want to give it away I didn't want to give it away bring me back <laughs> yeah <laughs> My number two from this side of the pond, Arlo White, is Jeremy Abobasi of the Portland Timbers, a very fine young player um, who, who's got some experience with, with the national team. He is going to be headed to the San Jose Earthquakes, a big late-season pickup for San Jose, who are in desperate need of some offensive help. And he's getting sold for, for what could end up being well over a million. And, and we were talking about this before we came on the pod, Arlo. This continues to be a good thing for Major League Soccer. Yes, we want to bring in young talent from Europe, young talent from South America, and we want to continue to grow them and flip them. But it continues to be a good sign for Major League Soccer that you can do business domestically and players are getting sold for numbers that they're actually worth and not just because they're domestic players, if that makes any sense. But Jeremy Abobasi heading over to the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, I continue to think that you know, these numbers are a big deal and and, it, and it's good business for MLS and it continues to, you know, even prove that they're worth this money in this market and then to be sold later on. So um, good for Portland Timbers, good for Jeremy Obobese, who who's going to become the guy at the San Jose Earthquakes. OK, well, my third one is, is kind of uh, along those lines, really. And I need uh, a bit of input from you on this, Tyler. But Josh Sargent, yeah. you mentioned him earlier, signing for Norwich City. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be hard for him to carry off the bright yellow kit with that shocking uh, ginger hair that he has. Um, that's going to be a bit of a clash <laughs> straight away. But look, at this is a great opportunity for him. And and to open up against Liverpool at the weekend um, is going to be is going to be great. He's at a very good football club, as I said earlier. He'll be well looked after. There, there's a real family feel to Norwich City. But but what what are we what are we looking for? What what does he bring? Um, he brings number one. He's he is tenacious. He loves to press. He loves to get after you. Um, he's a he's a good guy to have on the field, just in terms of putting in the legwork. Even as a striker, he's going to help shape out a press, um, whatever that might look like for Norwich. But um, you know, there have been some you know conflicting ideologies on to whether or not Josh Sargent, when he came over, um, you know, to Verta Bremen and, and now finishing his time, was it a success? We, we don't really know because. He scored a few goals here and there in in about like 50 or 60 appearances. He was playing for a Werder Bremen team that obviously was just not very good. And his time with the U.S. men's national team has not been outstanding. There continues to be this race and this conversation for who's going to be the number nine for the U.S. men's national team. Is it Daryl DK? Is it Josh Sargent? Is it Jossie Zardes? Right now, I think most people would tell you 
based on performances that it's Josh Zardes. Josh Sargent has not been clinical enough in the final third to the point where you say he's our guy. Is he playing at a really high level on a consistent basis? Absolutely. But the one thing that you're looking for from your number nine is a guy who puts the ball in the back of the net, and he has not shown that sort of ruthless mentality in the attacking third. Does he have the capability to perhaps get there into the other parts of his game already there? Yes. But he needs that confidence. He needs to find the back of the net on a consistent basis. He's good with hold-up play. He has good feet. I think he has a decent range of passing. But, you know, when you look at him and you look at the way that he tries to finish, you just are sort of sitting there to yourself and you're like, I don't know if he's an out-and-out number nine. I'm not really sure what he does. But he does bring a great work ethic. He's high energy. He seems to be a good kid. Um, and listen, it's a lot of money for Norris to splash on an American player. It's about $11 million or so. Um, and, and, you know, he's going to play. For that amount of money, mm. he's going to be on the field. So I'm really interested to see. It's another great opportunity for Americans to wake up on Saturday mornings and to be able to watch um, an American play in the Premier League and continue to get minutes and continue to grow. Um, he's still young. But I'm very interested to see what's going to happen because he hasn't absolutely killed it at Werder Bremen and now coming over and he sort of really deserves this chance. Um, but for for Josh Sargent, a great opportunity and for Norwich, hopefully a very good signing. Good luck to him then. And uh, just a reminder before we before we go. So I've got a busy weekend. You've got a busy weekend. So let's get into it. Brentford yep. Arsenal Friday, Friday afternoon. Get off work early um, or take your device to work, obviously. Uh, 2 p.m. kickoff central time. Brentford Arsenal, NBCSN. So Josh Sargent's Liverpool, uh, sorry, Norwich against Liverpool. 11.30 a.m. central time, NBC. And then Spurs Man City on Sunday. Sunday, 10.30 Central Time, NBCSN. Pitch side desks at Brentford and at Spurs. And uh, Graham and Lee and I reunited mm. for three-man booths for all three days. So I can't wait, and I'd be delighted if everyone joined us. Well, just one game for me. No pitch side desks, but I do get to sit next to Tony Miola, um, which is you know just more fun than any human being could possibly <laughs> imagine. So I am with Tony Miola on the call for the Fire against the Columbus Crew. A massive, massive game. They are seven points off of a playoff spot, the Fire. They are chasing Columbus. They're playing Columbus at home, wrapping up a three-game homestand before they head into this gauntlet of a final part of the schedule. 11 out of their last 15 on the road. Fire fans, we need you now more than ever. It needs to be a competitive advantage at home at Soldier Field. It has been. Let's continue to make it that way. And then some 5 o'clock WGN um, and Chicago Fire FC Live. Tony and I will have the call um, for this final home game before just a, a crazy stretch. After that, we'll head on the road for a little Sunshine State swing. We'll have Inner Miami that following Wednesday and then Orlando City on that Saturday. But before oh, that, a few days by the pool, hey. Again. Few days, you and no, Miola by you know, the listen, pool. Few days by the pool. I think we're going to head out on Tony's boat. Oh. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of fishing. I'm going to oh. see my 98 year old grandfather oh, in, in Lake Worth, Florida. Oh. Um, I, I am more than excited to get down to Florida. Fantastic. Um, if not to anything, to brush up on my tan to try to you know maybe extend it to see if we can get so much of a tan that once the sun really starts to go away in Chicago, that I'm still you know with that nice little bronze. Um, you know, I don't know how much you know about that, Arlo. I know that you have a bit more. No, fair I'm, skin I'm than just I do. translucent, so uh, yeah, it doesn't really. Yeah. Like Go red it's, it's your SPF. Yeah, yeah. It's your SPF 100 to my SPF 30. Uh, <laughs> right. I think, uh, that should that should have been the name of the pod. <laughs> uh, in all honesty, Arlo White, you have an incredibly busy schedule. The Premier League is back. Pitch side desks. Graham Lee and Arlo. Every single American Premier League fan cannot wait to see you guys on there. The mother of dragons has returned. Life is normal again. We will reconvene after Arsenal and Brentford. After a fantastic week of Premier League football, and after another Chicago Fire three points. 
And I just can't wait for episode number six, pal. Absolutely. Can't wait. So you guys, you bring home the points against Columbus at the weekend and from Florida um, next week as well. I can't wait to catch up about it and watch the games as well. Um, But we have got so much to talk about next week. I can't wait. All right, for our producer, Andrew Williams, and Arlo White, who is finally back in England in his home after his stint in Tokyo and Chicago. Tyler Terrence saying so long for now, folks. We'll talk to you next episode. Appreciate it.